You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. How is everyone this wonderful Thursday? As usual, I have my buddy Mike Sando on. We're going to get to him in a minute. A lot of league-wide topics to discuss. First, I wanted to mention the Himalaya podcast app. It's free. It's super easy to use. Has every single podcast you love or are searching for. So check that out. Find and download Himalaya on, at the App Store or the Google Play Store. Don't forget to follow Locked On NFL once you're there, of course. And when you get in your car, do me a favor and tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL. Michael, how are you? I am doing well. Thank you. Good. Uh, it's been a little while since we've talked. I think there's a lot to discuss. Some GM moves since we really talked last. And I want to start in Houston. There's some rumblings that they're after Nick Serio from the the Patriots. And he would be their third GM on the payroll. Whoever they hire is going to be their third GM still on the payroll. What's your take on this situation? My early thoughts yeah. were... I respect O'Brien as a coach, but I'm not sure he's the easiest guy to work with. And he obviously has the most juice in the building and the owner's ear for better or worse. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing, um, but I think he's going to try to bring in a Patriot style way of doing things. Don't you think? You would think so. You know, yeah. I, there's a lot of moving parts in Houston. You know, remember Bob McNair, the longtime owner passed away. So there's been an ownership change. Um, you know, not that long ago, Rick Smith was the GM and, and he stepped away and, then, you know, his wife was battling cancer and she tragically passed. So, um, you know, that's a very unusual situation, right? Then you bring in Brian Gain and he's part of the 2018 GM class. That was, uh, they were three G's, Gutenkust in uh, Green Bay and Gettleman with the Giants. And only one of those three guys made the playoffs. That was Brian Gain. Thank you, Brian, for your contributions. <laughs> now you are out in this wacky, wild world of the NFL. Then you had the stories today about, you know, an employee filing suit, discrimination allegations. Um, and, oh, by the way, you know, the O'Brien's reputation, obviously, you alluded to, you know, that, that he wants it done the New England way, his way. And is are you going to find the right um, GM to fit with him? The bottom line is you have to have that fit. So whether it's O'Brien's fault, whether it's someone else's fault, the hope for the Texans is they get someone who really fits well um, with O'Brien and move on from there. I, I, I threw it out when it happened earlier in the week that, hey, Scott Pioli isn't with anyone right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe he would come in as the top guy or with Serio. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like that could be something that would work out. Yeah, Pioli would be, I think, a, a you know, good example of somebody who you know maybe the next go around would be better as a gm he's obviously a very good football um guy and has the new england background as well you know the thing with pioli is he has a lot of other interests in life too you know mm, he does okay. a lot of stuff uh charitably and um i think that you know my impression has been that he wasn't just stepping away from the falcons he was stepping towards some of that stuff so i'm not sure um, maybe he doesn't want to be exactly, a GM hundred hours away. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Um, maybe he will at some point in the future. I'm not sure where his mindset is at right at this exact moment. And remember, if you come in with O'Brien, is he under pressure this year? If they miss the playoffs, is there a coaching change? You know, um, I would really want to know what, what are they thinking as an organization, um, before going in there? Where are they? 
Yeah. You know, well, what's going on? It's it's odd for a GM to last 18 months, right? It is. And I'm glad you, you the first thing that came out of your mouth when I asked you about the Texans was the ownership situation. Because I think a lot of fans and a lot of people in general, even close to the to football, don't realize how big a deal that is when the organization gets shaped up. I mean, it's you, you watch the show yeah. Succession on HBO. I mean, it has massive ripple effects when... There's a change, or the guy in charge gets older, or you know, all these things happen within a family. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. We just don't know. We don't know exactly what happened, but all of these things are factors. It may not be any one thing. I mean, I was talking to a, you know, a longtime personnel guy a couple of days ago when this came down, and he was like, "Gal, eighteen months. I mean, did they show up at their mini camps and realize they still don't have any offensive tackles?" And the I was going to bring that up. That? Yeah. You know, I mean, what the, what could possibly you know you know, change. It's not like he's been there for five years. Sometimes you see, you know, a change after the draft. It was just like McCagnon with the Jets, right? I mean, yes, the timing was a little surprising a couple weeks after the draft, but he was on, everyone knew he was on thin ice. I don't think anyone was talking about Brian Gain being on thin ice. Yeah, right. This one seemed to come more out of nowhere. Him mm-hmm. and O'Brien had, all, you know, had worked together. It wasn't like a new coach had just came in. And speaking of Gain, I mean, my first thought was, if I have a complaint with this guy or if they're, you know, unhappy with him was priority number one, fix the offensive line. And hey, Brian, we don't think you did a good enough mm-hmm. job with that. I mean, he drafted Reed, the safety out of Stanford, who looks like a star. I mean, that, that was a nice move. Yeah, they got, you know, potentially got outmaneuvered for the Washington State tackle. Dillard, yeah, remember yeah. Andre Dillard. So that was the Philly came up from 25 to 22. I mean, look, that type of thing happens in the draft. Even if you that's blew it, you should have been more proactive. That's not that's not fireable. So. Uh, we don't know all the facts, but it is a very interesting situation, and they've got some interesting stuff on the player front, too. Yeah, I want to go there, and that's the last thing I want to talk about with Houston, is Jadavian Clowney, because he's right now under the franchise tag. He's publicly unhappy, as you know. often people we have seen this every year with somebody around the league. My take on him as a player, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but he's a power player. He's not real flexible bend the edge you're not going to support you're not going to you know get him confused with Von Miller um really he does his best work in the run game and Cronell and company have done a great job of lining him inside he'll play over guards he'll come a line a year a yard or two off the line of scrimmage to get ahead of steam really shock someone with his big hands and long arms from what i recall he was like the most sought after recruit in the country you know you saw some of that at South Carolina but there was some knock and I think this is still part of his makeup is maybe not the best practice player worker in the world and practice practice talking about practice (laughs) right and if this is the Patriots you know would the page if they are going to be a Patriot model Patriots moved on from Chandler Jones you know would they pay Clowney a gajillion dollars I bet not no, I, I, yeah, I think there's a couple factors here. Um, one, you know, not that long ago, it looked like J.J. Watt might be done. If J.J. Watt's done, mm-hmm. they may pay Clowney, right? I mean, you, I think the, one of the issues is that J.J. Watt's back. I mean, he looks great. So you're going to have, you know, you're going to have two guys that are just absolutely, you know, uh, on monster contracts. I think that's a, 
that's a potential consideration. They probably have a little bit less need for Clowney because Watt appears to be back, appears like he's back to his old double-digit sack um, self. So that's something that comes to mind there. I, I think they have been, you know, just me talking to people around the league, you know, that's that seed's been planted for a long time. Hey, if they don't get something done, that's a you could see Clowney being traded, you know, as we get closer to mm-hmm. camps or season or that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't think he's an obvious line him up on the edge and let him go on the outside shoulder or left tackles. You know, you need to have a plan for him to maximize it. And I think Houston's done a great job tactically maximizing what he does. Um, Folks, we are, today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. Mike, something I've been wanting to talk to you for a while about is going to an 18-game schedule. So I have a lot of thoughts on it. I'm not sure I've talked a lot on these airwaves about it. But before I spill everything out of my mouth, let's hear what you have to say about two preseason games, 18 regular season games. Where are you on that? Well, it's doing something for the wrong reason. Like for me, um, for, you know, you're – you're shortening preseason. You're adding to the regular season. I don't think we need two more games. I, I think the season's plenty long. It's a grind. Now, if you're gonna if you're gonna expand rosters and and do that sort of thing, maybe okay. I just I just think it's players are already. Um, it's hard to get through a season, you know, and quarterbacks and that type of stuff. I just I'm not sitting there wishing the season got longer and the games were a little less valuable. I, I think 16 is already two more than when it was 14 and four more than when it was 12. Um, I'm fine with it how it is. I am too, but I do think it will happen. First of all, do you think it will happen? I do. Probably. I mean, I think it's a money question of money and, you know, then the preseason, the trade-off is the preseason, which I think everybody agrees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one likes the preseason games, although coaches need them to evaluate, but the way, the way they're using players there, guys are protecting guys in the preseason now. A lot. Like so the you're not, you're not even, nobody last year. Yeah, you're not even using those games. So if you're not going to use those games, they go from bad games to watch to not as important for evaluation if you're not using the guys. So in that case, you know, you take away two there. You add add pre add regular season games where everyone plays. It makes great sense on paper. I just am not feeling it as a great thing for the game. Hmm. See, I sort of disagree, and I want to break it down on a mm-hmm. couple levels. Is the preseason, to me, I think would get better attention with just two games because, you know, like, I, I always do the Steeler postgame shows, and the first game, everyone's super excited because it's football. You know, it doesn't matter yep, what the product back. is. It's enough. It's one, and then we're all let down. Boy, that wasn't as great as I remember. And then the second one is, eh, okay, I'll watch, sure. Third one, Big Ben's going to play. Let's. I can't wait for the third game. Fourth one, I just can't wait for it to be over. I mean, that, that's summarizing to me what the average fan thinks. But if there's yeah. two, you still get that excitement for the first one. The last one, Ben and Pouncey and DeCastro are going to play. Let's watch that one. Maybe if it's only a series, who the heck knows. But at least there'd be excitement around that one, and then the season's right around the corner. And then my last thought in the preseason is I do think – Season ticket holders get screwed having to pay for two preseason games, and I don't think that's right. Oh, no, no, absolutely, no. I, I totally agree. So, um, yeah, those are good reasons. Yeah, that's fine. I, I just, uh, maybe I'm just in, maybe I'm irrational on this, but I feel like, you know, we just look at the number of quarterbacks that play 16 games a year, and if you just go over the last five or six years, there's, there's like five guys or six guys who make it through 
you know, all the games. And I just feel like the quality of football over 18 games will probably suffer some. It may. Um, okay, here's my rebuttal to that, though, is if we're at the negotiating table and I want the 18 mm-hmm. games and you don't, I would say I'll give you two buys. And I promise yeah. you that if you're playing on the road on a Thursday night game, you will have a buy leading into that. So you'll get 10 days to prepare for it, 10 days to recover from that, as well as another buy that's spaced out reasonably yep. well. So I think players would say, yeah, I'm putting myself in more jeopardy with 18 games, but I get two nice breaks over that stretch instead of one. More my, game checks. More game checks. My body's going to heal um, twice as opposed to once. So I think that could be a vote for player safety. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's probably headed that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be, a, if the game, if the, if it was just going along, if we didn't need, if it wasn't driven by shortening the preseason, I don't think anyone would be saying, God, we need two more games. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, some other notes on that are, I would think rosters would expand. Game day that's rosters. That's needed anyway. Expand. I think that's needed anyway, right. I mean, I had a good talk with Ramon Foster, who's the, the player rep for the Steelers, and just talking about how the middle class and really the lower middle class of veterans really are getting shortchanged right now. And I wonder if larger rosters would help that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, the league yeah. is going younger. I mean, quick. Name five old wide receivers in the league. Larry Fitzgerald, that's it. Right, right, right. And They don't exist. <laughs> and, they, and they don't play special teams, so they yep. better be great. You know, like Des Bryant, yeah. but that was two years ago. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, right. There's no more Jerry Rice's and Tim Brown's hanging on and Chris Carter's playing forever. It doesn't happen. So wow. and part I, of that, guy's making more money. But, I mean, the, the league is trending young, for sure. For sure. So um, One other thing I do like about the 18-game schedule is I know it's not comparable to baseball or hockey or basketball, but I don't think because of 16 games, almost every year there's a team that gets in the playoffs that I kind of look at and say, sorry, Buffalo, you really weren't a playoff team. Miami (laughs) two years ago, you got in, but you're not playing playoff football. And my thought process is if you give me two more games, at least – the sample size will be larger. There's a more of an opportunity for the cream to come to the crop, to come to the top that 10 and eight might not get you in. You know what I mean? So you want to take away Kyle Williams of Buffalo and that amazing moment in the locker room. I you know, want to Bill take away the, me for when I, the, every time I wasn't that it the beast mode run. Wasn't that in the seven and nine Seahawks against the saints? Wasn't it in that game? It seemed like it was, um, I hear you. They so, still yeah. can get in. Maybe you go one and one in the next two. Still get... <laughs> I hear you. No, you know what good. I mean? Yeah, yeah, I just think it's a bigger sample size to yeah. judge who's the most, you know, has the most validity to get to the postseason. And yep. again, it's only two games, but 16, one bounce kills you. And I wonder yeah. if they'll, re- you know, you start resting players like in the NBA. You know, they, these guys take days, might. take week games off, you know. Don't you think the, the Patriots may have done that with Gronk last year? Oh, it could have, yeah. I mean, yeah. they definitely needed to keep him fresh. So. Right. Yep. Right. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about some other stuff going on around the league here in a moment. All right, Mike, um, some talk around the Jets camp. They hired a GM since we we got together last. Uh, Joe Douglas, uh, I think that he, what I know about him is he is a Raven background, an Eagle background. To me, two of the best organizations to 
really learn from. Um, he also was has a lineman background. You know, my hunch is when he gets his chance to put his hands on the Jets, they will be very much in the offensive line market. That's something they didn't address a ton this year besides Osemele. Uh Any thoughts on him GM-wise? Um, well, I, it seems like a good fit for Gase. So that's the number one thing. you got to have the okay. head coach and the yeah. GM on the same page. And so that seems positive, comes from a positive organization. I've heard good things about him. I think he's got a good reputation. So it seems like a solid hire. Um, I'm interested in seeing, you know, seeing how Gase and his offense go, you know, when he was in Pey- with Peyton Manning in Denver, um, you know, everyone said it was Peyton Manning, even though he changed the offense and they had a lot more dynamic, you know, movement and motion and that type of stuff. I believe it was still Peyton Manning. And then we went to Miami, the quarterbacks were hurt all the time and, and maybe he wasn't on as great of a same page, you know, with the GM, that sort of thing. So now mm-hmm. you get Gase plus Darnold plus a GM and they all start sort of fresh together. Um, I'm Appealing. interested in watching. Yeah, I'm interested in watching it, seeing it, seeing how it goes. Um, you know, you need a vision throughout your organization, and I feel like um, I feel like that's on Joe Douglas. You know, I, I don't think they have an owner who's going to provide that, right? Uh, yeah, it's a good way. To say uh, Adam yeah. Gase is, uh, you know, maybe not the deliverer of that e- either. You know, I mean, I think he's sort of the mad scientist with your offense, right? So Joe Douglas really has to be a great leader, I think, for that organization. And we don't know if he's going to be. He hasn't run one, but he comes from good stock. I've heard good things about him. So um, if he is that, uh, it's really going to help that organization. Throw Todd McShay in the mix, and that's all you need. Yeah, that's right, huh? <laughs> Bring in McShay, huh? I, I, could he still do mock drafts for ESPN? You know, that's how, maybe, right. maybe he and Mayock could go head-to-head mock draft. <laughs> And they could mock draft pick the number of hits and direct one with like a fifth round pick on the line. You there know? you go. And then they have yeah. to do the way, way, way too early mock draft <laughs> yeah. the day after the draft, no matter what. Too. Oh, you know, <laughs> his favorite McShay thing would probably take the job just, just to avoid having to do, do it way, right. way, way too early one. You know? I mean, we both work with Todd and he, I consider him a friend. He's a good dude. He'd be very yeah. good at the job. But I do yeah. think that those guys, and I'm not talking about Todd specific because like Daniel Jeremiah has been rumored. Um, sure. A lot of these guys. It, it would be odd, though, to me. I, I think about this a lot. Like, if I'm a long-term scout and I've paid my dues and someone goes, hires a TV guy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Do you think that would be a hard dynamic that all of a sudden John Lynch, Mayock, they're in charge of people now. You know, Todd, whoever Absolutely. it would be. It's an odd dynamic to me, and it's happening more and more. It would be a very hard thing. And, you know, let's just expand it, though. Even for those guys who would be complaining, you're talking about if, you, if you're a longtime scout or something, mm-hmm. you know, and you think you should be the GM. How does being a scout prepare you to be the GM? Yes, you got to right. pick the players. It's personnel. But the GM is so managing people. He's got to deal with the sprinkler system on field two. He's got to go Salary speak cap. at the corporate yeah. gathering on Friday. He's got to be good at that. You know, he, he's got so many things to he's you know what he's got to be an expert in hiring a sports science staff yeah he's got to be an expert in um hiring making analytics. sure the doctors are right that the analytics are right that it's all working together he's got to be good does, at hiring period he never hired yeah, anyone before, what does right. getting 200 marriott nights a year watching players in college do to prepare you for that it doesn't right so even that whole process <laughs> of hiring the gm is hard enough who knows maybe mike mayock's as good as anyone. <laughs> no, right, right. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad route. It's just an interesting route. Yeah. 
And all these guys, I think, are very good on television. I respect their opinions. Sure. Everyone that we mentioned, Lewis Riddick as well. Yeah, it's just yeah. an odd dynamic, and, and you could see where it would be a more difficult transition than people think. Oh, um, yeah, it's a way difficult job, too. Yeah. I mean, I look at, like, Dave Gettleman, for example. I think he's a good talent evaluator, but is he a good general manager to do all those things you said and talk to the media? That's a little yeah, questionable. It, how many boxes does your guy check, you know, as, as that? And if he doesn't, then have some other guys around you who do. So, that you know, it's a kind of another topic, but... You know, I, I like it when Chris Greer in Miami brings in a Reggie McKenzie, you know, or he has a couple guys yeah, there right. who are who are watching tape. You know, yeah. I think that I think that can help when you have a younger GM. Good call. Last topic I got for you is one you threw out to me via text a little bit ago was this late game defensive pass interference situation that yeah. you you're interested in. Can you kinda of expand on that? Yeah, okay. So it sounds like a boring topic, right? DPI, I mean but I just look, you know, the headline today, and for us, Kevin Seifert does just a great job. He's completely on top of it. Really need to check out his stuff on there. But um, they basically the league wants the officials to be the ones to initiate the challenges and make the calls on interference late in the game. And there, there had been some talk of having, you know, an eye in the sky or some, uh, you know, whether it's an official or do the coaches challenge directly, right? And okay. coaches just don't want more responsibility late in the game. I mean, that's what it is. Coaches don't want to have another thing that they have to have a meeting on, another thing that they can be criticized by Matt Williamson and Mike Sando about on Monday. They want... They got a lot on their plate to begin with during game day. They, they want to have some guy to blame about it. But to me, it's a. It, to me, we're just in a very tough spot with officiating because the replays are so good now. And I think you just have to have a built-in error and subjectivity, especially for DPI. We could both call every one of those close calls in DPI and reofficiate it. I'm afraid that's where it's going to go um, too much. And we'll see. We'll see. I just, I'm okay living with. So do you have a vote? Do you have, you know, a preference? Um, I didn't think there needed to be a change. I, I, I just think when you add another process, uh, another you add a you add a you add another thing you can get wrong. And I'm more like you know what? There's going to be some wrong calls late in the game on a DPI. It's too hard to do. I don't think they have the infrastructure to officiate it right. I don't think that I, I think they're just opening up another area where they can screw it up. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is, like, you sit there on your lazy boy watching the game, and there's a pass interference call, and when it happened immediately, you're like, boy, that's pass interference, or why'd they throw a flag there? Probably depending who your favorite team was that day. And then you watch them in super slow-mo, and they're not clearer a lot of the time. It's almost better to watch them in regular speed to understand the speed of the game, but you still don't understand the speed of the game unless you're standing there. There is room for error there that technology doesn't always solve. The coach doesn't want to be there after the game saying, being asked, why didn't you challenge that late in the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that, well, because you don't know if you're going to get it right, you know, but it's just, to me, it doesn't solve it. They're looking for a fix, and I, I don't know that what they're doing is going to fix. I don't, I don't know if it's fixable to get every call right. No. And that's I, what they're trying to do. My only thoughts on the whole situation is I just don't want the egregious calls to get missed. And I know this There's more, This is harder than I'm laying it out, but I would have one guy in the booth sitting there all by himself with a little red button. 
And when he says, guys, you really blew something, I don't care if it's a hold, an offsides, a pass interference, let's at least look at it. Boom, I'm going to push my button and we can discuss. But it better be egregious. Not like, oh boy, Aaron Donald got held on that play like he did the last three plays. I mean, something huge, game-changing. Just because I want this stuff to be right, there's only 16 games for now. And if you lose on that one, maybe you don't make the playoffs and you get fired and your kids have to move. Yeah. Okay. I could see, you know, some sort of mechanism, even in the postseason. or, you know, I, I thought that it, aren't they on the line with Al Riveron already? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like what other games he watched, you know, not that they could have changed it on, on the, on the DPI, but I don't know. I just feel like they're, I feel like they're, you can make things worse before you make them better. If you're not careful. Yeah. Well, you can go too far on this. Mark, or Mike, I called you Mark there for a minute. Mike, you are the man. Uh, this was a blast as always, and we'll do it next week if that works for you. Great. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. All right, folks, over and out. I have a guest for you tomorrow. I teased that earlier in the week. Dwayne McFarland will be back. Had a really good conversation with him last week, and you guys demanded him to come back. So I took care of you, and we will talk tomorrow. Over and out.